I think of my career as like the meal you make with like the three ingredients that are left at the back of the fridge. That's kind of what it's more been for me, but it's been a fun meal. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Here in LA, Granada Hills edition. Today we sit down with Charlie Danik, who's a guitar collector, a Porsche enthusiast, and lives in one of just 100 homes that are protected in a very special neighborhood in the valley. That's right, he owns one of those rare Eichler houses. Because he's also a location scout, you've seen his home if you've watched videos by Banks, Neon Trees, or his own band, Coin. So let's learn about this beautiful neighborhood on the north side of the valley as we chill with Charlie Danik. So we are here in Granada Hills, which I gotta say, the drive from Hollywood here at nine in the morning, kind of rush hour, was easy. Absolutely, all of the freeways end in Granada Hills, like the 405, the five, the 170, all kind of point here, 118, 210. So yeah, it's pretty easy to get anywhere in the city. And um, in the summertime, does it get really hot? It gets very hot. And I don't see a pool back here. I know, there's just a hillside. Um, luckily, I have pool privileges at a neighbor's house sometimes, so that, that helps things. There's also a community pool at the, the Knollwood Country Club. Um, that's part of the neighborhood, actually. Uh, the Knollwood Country Club originally started in the 60s. It was a, an investment venture by, I understand, at the, Rack, the Rat Pack, Frank Sinatra and Dino. They bought this country club and bought up all the land around it. And then when the country club became a hot spot, they sold all the land to developers. So that's how the neighborhood started. So that that country club is now a um, it's in the park service and the pool is still there and anyone can go swim there in the summer. This is what? Yeah. What, what's this uh, neighborhood called? We are in the Balboa Highlands, Eichler Tract. And within this special neighborhood, this is a special, special couple of streets. Uh, Joseph Eichler was a developer in, in the 50s and 60s, post-war. It was after World War II. There were housing shortages all through California. And everyone was moving to the suburbs with, with the aforementioned freeways. And uh, Joseph Eichler felt like, well, this is a chance to really get the suburbs right. So he hired these very forward-looking case study architects, you know, future advanced, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, Japanese architecture, brought it all together and designed these crazy, what were essentially tract homes. But as you can see, they're not like normal tract homes. They're, no. they're very futuristic, or for the time. Um, he built most of his houses in the Bay Area, um, but he built 100 of these houses in LA County, and they're all on these four streets. And um, what makes them kind of unique, um, he, he believed in community, but privacy. So you know our houses are 12 feet apart, but you would never know it because they have this garden atrium in the middle so the house always kind of turns in on itself and it, yeah. it's this environment but then you're also close to neighbors um none of the streets you can if you're standing on the corner of one street you can never see the corner of the other street he did you know there were hills or turns he always did things like that um you know the houses themselves have a lot of floor-to-ceiling glass the, yes lots of light yeah lots of light um there's always the same indirect light almost all day no matter where the sun is the way the house is designed um he combined the kit he noticed that the kitchen was always the popular hangout so he combined it with the living room that was very forward at the time um there are no power lines um they're all in the ground right um he did a lot of things and he did some other cool social things too um he had a rule at a time where, where developers were restrictive about who could buy these houses joseph eichler's deal was anyone of any race or any religion can move in here 
And if you don't like your neighbor, he would buy your house back. What? Yeah. Was it a huge success right off the bat? Um, they were popular, but I don't know how it was ever to make that terribly profitable. By 63, 64, when these houses were built, he was running into some financial issues, and these were among the last of the tracks that he did. In mm. fact, some of the lots in this track he had to sell to other non-Eichler-type houses to fund the houses he was building. You know, I ask a question, and you give me, like, the greatest Wikipedia, but <laughs> wholesome, like, perfect human what an answer. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're interesting houses. If I went to most of the neighbors, do they also know the history of all this too? Oh, absolutely. It's like living at a car show. Everyone cares about their houses in similar ways. Yeah. Uh, we're, we all share resources for restoring them or, um, oh. you know, it's, it, there's, you know, the house, we bought this house from friends of ours. It was never on the market. They restored it like a classic car where they, you know, all the right light fixtures, you know, there's only the best for Micah. No, no granite <laughs> kitchen. Like they, they really tried to keep it period correct. Well, and I mean, I, I wish I wish people could see your um, your lamps. Even the piano <laughs> is kind of a throwback to mid-century modern. Yeah. Which which is I mean, it, you do feel like it's a throwback when you come in here. I mean, even this throw rug, even the couch, um, this modern art you have here, this incredible 60s lamp with the that are kind of looks like flowers, like giant flowers, but it's uh, metal balls of, of light. Yeah, I mean, that's that's by design for a couple of reasons. Um, I love the era and, and I can tell you why, um, you know, for for in the beginning of, of Western civilization, it seems like art, religion and, and science were all kind of the same thing. And they've all sort of diverged, um, and you know, in, in, in different speeds and in different ways. You know, science broke off from religion in the Renaissance, or even before, but really in earnest then. And um, and art and uh, um, science had a relationship too. They were very tied together. Uh, art was very aligned with nature. It was an expression of nature, and I feel like art in nature um, that culminated maybe with abstract expressionism of this era of the 50s and 60s. And then in the 60s, something very interesting happened. Suddenly, like art changed its magnetic alignment to pop culture. And so suddenly you have like, you know, Campbell's Soup Cans is art. And it's, it's all about repeating what we see in the mechanized world. And architecture, brutalism followed that, which sort of makes this era the, the zenith for, 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 you know, the evolution of Western design and thought. Uh, when it was still aligned really with nature and harmonizing with nature. So, so I love that era and I love living in that era. Uh, let's fast forward real quick. You're going to stop living in this house. I know. You're moving back to the Midwest where you grew up, right? Yeah. And can, can I ask how old you are? I am going to be 50 in June. 50 years old? Mm-hmm. You no longer love this amazing neighborhood? Oh my God, I love this amazing neighborhood till I die. But I've been here for 14 years and I, I'm actually not the least bit sad to leave. It feels to me like I've finished a really satisfying meal. Like you just don't, I've, I've, this has been perfect. You know what's crazy is I'm 55. Uh huh. When I was 50, the Cubs finally won the World Series. See? And I <laughs> felt this... It was, it was kind of bittersweet. It was very sweet because finally we won. Yeah. But I did I never realized how important the Cubs winning the World Series was to me. But that was the end of this great book, this great chapter. Yeah. And then it's like, now what? And it feels like you are in that next volume of 
your books. Yeah. Is that how you're looking at it? Yeah. I mean, I have like the Cubs winning the World Series moment, but yeah, it, it, <laughs> I remember that moment. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of, you know, I've done this, um, you know, uh, to, to finish an earlier question. The other reason I've kept the house period is to tie into what I've done here, which is location scouting. Um, I've kept the house very period because I've, I've um, kind of worked both sides of the street. I've also hosted a lot of commercial productions, music video productions at this house. Oh. So keeping it period was sort of a way to do that. Yeah. But I've done that. I've, I've, I've reached its, its conclusion. And I, you know, at 50, I feel like I've got time for another couple chapters, another next thing. Do I want to just keep doing this or do I want to reinvent myself and do something different? And, and I know where, where this will lead. Um, I don't know where that will lead. So I'm just hungry for the next thing. Music videos were shot in here? Yeah. I can totally, first of all, it's very spacious. Mm -hmm. um, anybody that I would have known? Yeah, uh, Neon Trees shot a video here for songs I can't listen to. Uh, Christina Perry, her Christmas song, Something About December was filmed here at that piano. What? Um, which, is, which is perfect. Uh, Starly, I forget, I think she just goes by Starly. Um, mm -hmm. She filmed her her big song here, uh, right, right on the couch. Put me up till whatever job comes through. Okay, let's talk about this piano. Okay. It was the first thing I bought for this house. I'm glad we started there. <laughs> uh, tell me about it. Okay. Uh, in the late 1940s, after World War II, uh, Baldwin um, made these small spinet pianos that was called their Acrosonic line. And they were designed for people that wanted, you know, a good quality instrument, good materials at an affordable price point for their kids to learn or if they didn't have a lot of space. And they were very successful as, you know, kind of an entry kind of piano. And then they thought, well, we should have some fun with these. So they started doing them in different casings to kind of match the trends of the day. I've heard a rumor about one from the 70s that's all clear lucite. Whoa. Love to find that one. But this one, this is their 1960s one. This is their Danish modern piano. So it's a piano that's made to, 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 to echo, you know, Danish modernism with the turn legs and the floating keyboard and the caning uh, over the sound soundboard. You're a musician though, right? I am. So does the piano work well? It does. I need to have it tuned, but yes, it works great. Um, uh, let, let me ask you about that. What, what kind of instruments do you normally play? I'm mostly a guitar player. Um, that's that's my, my first love and kind of first language. Mm -hmm. um, but I love trying to play the piano because you can get voicings that you can't get with a guitar. Um, so it can be very inspirational, you know, for, for thinking about different ways of songwriting. I use it for that. Mm -hmm. um, I, um, I wrote a new album that I'm, I'm trying to find time to record soon that's kind of more sprawling and more experimental. So for that album, I've learned to play drums and bass to at least kind of block <laughs> out what it's supposed to going to be. Were you playing the drums in this house? Yeah. And the neighbors are super cool with that? They don't hear it really. Um, at least they never told me they heard it. Um, it, it the, the way the houses are, they're actually pretty well soundproof somehow. But I mean, but this floor probably vibrates and, mm. and echoes. Yeah. Which might be great for recording. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. But the drums. Uh -huh. Let's talk about um, location scouting. Okay. Because... Um, Friends of mine will know that when I worked at the Academy, the last year that I was there, mm -hmm. I was researching a book about locations mm. and locations managers and location scouts. Mm -hmm. And I was really blown away by the people who I talked with who'd been doing it for years and years and years because the more I learned, the more I realized 
you just can't find a house like this and be like, here, it's going to be right here. <laughs> You've got to like think about where the trucks are going to park. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you got to pay off the neighbors. Uh -huh. um, there's just a lot of paperwork. You got to talk to cops. Like it's just a long list that just seemingly never ends mm -hmm. until the shoot's over. And you ask why I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you do this for? Uh, I've been location scouting for 20 years. Um, I started as a producer somehow, and uh, I always scouted my own locations. And then um, about 10 years ago, I switched to just locations. Um, <laughs> when, when, when I talked to these people again, it seemed like, like I remember a story somebody told me about the filming of Training Day, mm -hmm. and they decided to get gang members to do security at one South LA location sure. um, to protect the vintage cars that uh, Denzel was using and some of the, the background cars to make mm -hmm. it look, um, you know, realistic, even though they were in, in the crazy <laughs> neighborhood that they were filming in. And they tossed the keys to one of the security gang members who then drove away, never to be seen again. <laughs> it seems to me that that would be the day that I quit. And yet none of these people quit. You did it for 20 years. Yeah. Um, is that just a normal day at the office? Yeah. And that there is no such thing as a normal day at the office. Every challenge is so uniquely different. Um, I mean, when you watch a movie, it's not the same character, same, it's not the same location. Every location has its own challenges. I actually, I have harder time shooting in the wealthiest neighborhoods somehow because they're like money, you know, is Money's no object, but not in the way that you want it to be. Like, they just don't care sometimes. Like, they're, the answer, it's more a yes or no than how much. Um, so there's, there's just challenges in every neighborhood. One, You're absolutely right, because one of the stories I heard, they wanted to film in a wealthy neighborhood, and the neighbor above them in the hill um, said, forget it. No. Yeah. And, and there was nothing that could influence this person. Right. Other than, oh, so, so the, but the director wanted that house. Uh. And the location manager said, I don't know what to do with this guy. And he goes, what's the address? And so the di director goes to the producer. The producer does some research. Turns out the the guy above him is also in the industry. Totally. The irony. Oh, they're right? the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, and, but yeah. <laughs> and they were using the same bank to finance each of their own projects. Uh -huh. So he So the one producer calls the other guy and says, do you really want to make your next movie? Because we can make it hard for you. We belong to the same bank. We probably have the same producers yeah. or investors. Yeah. And the guy was like, oh, really? Billy? Whatever it was, <laughs> fine. <laughs> Which, how crazy it is that that in Hollywood, to, you know, quote unquote, the worst people to deal with are other people in the industry. Yeah, that's I find that to be the case a lot, actually. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I being on both sides of the of it as a homeowner renting out sometimes as well I, you know i think it's a couple things i think um you just don't want to come home to where you work sometimes it's that but i think sometimes too you know if you having if, if some deal you're working on didn't go through and you're just having a hard time and you know you're unhappy with the, the shoot you're on for the next six months or whatever it is do you really want to be reminded of someone that is working and that it's working for when you come home <laughs> and seeing all these dollar signs up and down your street that you're not a part of i mean it's, it's, it, you know, I'm used to it and I'm used to surfing those waves and it's, you know, and I don't, I'm, I was never that ambitious with it either. I, it was always more of like a, a way to fund my art habit, not something mm. I was like 
you know, really in, invested in emotionally that much. But I, I can see it. And you know, even here, it's like, well, it's a ten thousand dollar a day job, and it's between you and them. And uh, you're either going to get really rich or you're going to have to like deal with the trucks that they're making the money for. Oh. And you know, there's that sometimes too, a little bit. You so know? a house could, could reap in 10 grand if they're using the whole That's house? That's a high number, but that would be like a feature film. Um, more typically for a day for commercial filming might be like 5,000 a day. And I heard that for like the first 14 days or so, that's tax-free, tax right? Tax-free. Is it 14 days? I think it's 12. That's still pretty good money. It's very good money. Um, you know, it's hilarious. Like the, sh the houses that shoot a lot or, uh, you know, you'll call them and it's like, well, I don't have as much money as I do for this one. They're like, well, we're at 11 days now, so we're going to pass because we're going to save it for a better paying day. <laughs> Can you just bump it up to, to basically pay their own tax? I'm tax? not nuanced in it at all. I don't, right. I, I don't know if like if, uh, on the 13th day you have to pay taxes for all 12 of the days. Oh. It might be like that. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. And, and the reason I imagine for this tax break is because California wants to encourage filming in California, right? Again, I'm not a tax expert. My sense, though, is it's more like if you're renting a house to, to for like travelers or something like an Airbnb or something like that. Yes. But there's no like like catch on the amount like you could Airbnb your house for five grand a day if someone would pay it. And it's by the day, not the amount. Right. Have you done any scouting that that worked out in Granada Hills? Sure. I scout my neighbors' houses quite often. You know, um, if I'm if I'm doing a job and they want a mid-century house, I wouldn't have a lot of clients if I just said shoot at my house only. So you know, I've scouted most of you know a lot of my neighbors' houses, and you know, um, I'm I'm very impartial when it comes to presenting options to to my locations clients. Sometimes they pick mine, sometimes they pick my neighbors. Yeah. And then they'll want like, well, okay, now we need a park. So El Melvini Park is amazing. It's as big as Griffith Park, and it's right across the street. That's the one with the the big. I want to say mountain because mm -hmm. we're from the Midwest, but yeah. it's, it's really just a really big hill, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I took a picture of the sign that said rattlesnakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have those. Have you encountered any rattlesnakes? Yeah, I've seen them. Um, I, not in Old Melvany, but uh, we were walking up on Sussanon one time and we saw one crossing the street. And um, But in Old Melvany, I've seen a giant tarantula on the trail once. That was crazy. Now you have this adorable dog. What kind of dog is this? He's a Shiba Inu. A Shiba Inu. Yeah, he's a Japanese dog. He looks like a Japanese dog. <laughs> yeah. He looks like, like an anime uh, uh, dog, kind he, of. I think he is an anime dog sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so adorable and petite. Yeah. You say he's four years old. He's four years old. So do you walk him up to this uh, park? Yeah, all the time. In fact, there's a dog walking group that meets there um, that sometimes we we all walk dogs together. Nobody's going to believe this podcast. <laughs> this just seems like the ideal neighborhood of just very friendly people uh -huh. who get to swim at the country club pool yeah. without belonging to a country club. Yeah. Are there dues to, to be in this neighborhood? No. Why isn't everybody here? There's only a hundred of these houses. So only the hundred houses get to go to that country no, club? No, actually anybody in the neighborhood can use the country club. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, as a look, I read somewhere about, uh, in some book about LA when I first got here, the thing about LA is it's a place where people come to invent their own realities. And as a location scout, that's truly what I've seen. You know, and that's why they do so much filming here. If you want Ohio in summer in February, I can find that for you. If you want, you know, the 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 the, the um, Fallujah Desert, like I can find that for you. If you want to, you know, 
you know, Alpine Swiss yodeling. I can find it's all here. Where's your Fallujah desert? Okay, well, there's a lot of great stuff out in Palmdale, but there actually is a film ranch out there called um, Blue Cloud that has like the, the whole like Middle Eastern street for all the war movies. Um, really? You know, yeah. Like, yeah. And, and and because it's Palmdale, it's probably easy to do. Yeah, Palmdale's pretty fun. There's, there's no yeah, neighbors Kern to County. complain, right? No, there's yeah, there's lots of film ranches. I heard that Kill Bill Two or Kill Bill and Kill Bill Two, uh, the church scene was, was out over. there. Yeah, yeah, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, there's a great one that I scouted um, called the Four Aces, where they do a lot of horror films. And um, I had an epiphany there actually, like not too long ago. I was you know shooting this, and it's only ever been a film ranch, but it has like a CD motel. Like the the gas station from hell, like you know, hobo, you know, like honky tonk diner kind of deal. And you're walking through this place, and you know it's a movie set, but every little piece is so real, and you're having this emotional reaction. And you realize, you know, just because this never existed as a hotel, it's existed as a canvas where all of these people have brought those horrible hotel experiences and told those stories so many times that that's almost no less real in a sort of way that that, that it's this place has attracted this energy of all these stories that are very real to the people telling them. And, uh, you know, it, it, Hollywood's a weird place. Like it, the line of reality and fantasy kind of like, doesn't just go both ways. It goes back and forth, back and forth. Like it was, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you're talking about this because um, I've been lucky enough to, to work at places like E and the Academy. Mm -hmm. And I've met a lot of people in the, the crew, the below the line people, they call them, right? Yeah. Which includes location scouts and managers. Yeah. And I've always been blown away by the the knowledge that everybody has, the true professionalism. Mm -hmm. um, you get you get I mean, the the lowest paid guy could pack up this house, paint the walls, do all the things. Mm -hmm. And no big deal. No attitude. Mm -hmm. It I feel like Hollywood gets a bit when it gets a bad name. It's for the, the people who are making all the money, either yeah. the, the terrible directors and producers yeah. or the uptight actors. Yeah. But everybody else, 14 hour day, I'd rather not, but I'm going to kick ass all 14 hours. That's what we do. Yeah. And, and just like with you, if somebody said, I need A, B and C, I need all these things, you could probably have a, a variety of options for them. Mm -hmm. So mid-century modern, um, if they didn't want to be in Granada Hills, let's say they wanted to be south of the 10, mm -hmm. you could probably pull that off too, right? Totally. No problem. Yeah. And, and okay, so was there a request that made you uptight? Because you don't seem like a guy that gets uptight. Mm, no, I don't. I can't think of I mean, it's all part of the job. You know, like, whatever they need to tell the story, they're, you know, it, they're all different challenges challenges just different you know um you've never said i will not work in culver city again oh well there are some parts of the city that are harder to film at than others um you know like um i don't think i'm hurting anybody's feelings to acknowledge that south pasadena has has a very stringent restrictive film office like, this is surprising to me <laughs> i've never so, heard this so you know if it's you know if i you know and honestly to explain a little bit more what i do i'm a niche within a niche within a niche i mostly work in print um, so, so I, I do a lot of more fashion lifestyle things. Um, not so, I never do features. I've, I've done a few commercials, but mostly I do 
like a very small scale of what what this is. Ah. And so I don't, ha- you know, if a client has five thousand dollars to spend on a house, I don't have that to spend on permitting and restrictions. Oh. So I have to be a little judicious in the neighborhoods I show, yeah. um, because you know, like when when you deal with some cities, they cost more and they have more rules. So when you say print, you mean like um, like fashion layouts? Uh, sometimes. Commercials? Sometimes. Or I'm sorry, ads that will go in like Vogue and stuff? Yeah. I do you know, a lot of magazine ads or point of sale displays. When you walk in the store, there's all these pictures, um, you know, or uh, um, on the website. Um, I, I work more in that kind of site or catalogs. You know, I, I guess I just took that for granted. Yeah. But of course, you've got to have the couch somewhere to uh-huh. take the picture. Yeah. And you're the guy that does that. That's for what them. I do. Yeah. From two, there now were three. Before the nurse gave you to me, I'd never held a baby girl like you. How old were you when you had your daughter? I was 34. 34. It seems like the perfect age. Yeah. And yet you still felt like you were unprepared. Oh, there's no perfect age. You know, I mean, before that, we're all like, well, one day when we're ready, one day when we're ready. And the only real realization was, okay, well, one day when we're ready, we may be like closer to 40. And then, you know, what if you're trying all kind? you know, I mean, if you need help with fertilization or uh, treatments or something, that's a whole different level of stress if you wait, wait toward toward that end so i just sort of realized there's there is no such thing as a perfect age it's if ever there was a buy the ticket take the ride you just kind of pick a day so which did she grow up in granada hills she did what did what high school did she go to she's in high school now she goes to a boarding school she's a classical violinist what yeah so she's going to a boarding school for that that must sound beautiful in here it does Because again, the 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 sound here, the echoes, the walls. What kind of floor is this? Uh, it's a travertine floor. Um, the person who was, we bought the house from restored it worked at LACMA, and he wanted the same floor they have at LACMA in here. <laughs> I need to stop asking you these questions. Nobody's going to believe this. That's the perfect answer. I mean, because it looks like marble. Uh-huh. You know, a, a dope like me is going to say. How'd you get marble floors in here? Yeah. But it's 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 a, a it's softer. It's more like alabaster. It's a little softer. It's not as soft as alabaster, but it's in between. But the but the 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 echoes that a beautiful violin. Yeah. It's she, good. Is she really good? Yeah, she's pretty good. Is she excited about moving back to Michigan? She's um you know, she's 16. She has two more years of high school, and she's at a boarding school now. So her is the boarding school in LA? No. Oh, okay. Then. No, it's right somewhere else. Yeah, it's somewhere okay. else. So, um, you know, she's 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 supportive. She she knows that you know I'm also an artist and that I've I've um, you know I've I've invested a lot in helping her and encouraging her and and you know there's not as much I can do with that now. She's at an age now where she's learning a lot more from her teachers. I mean, of course, I'm in her corner and drop anything for her at any time. Nice. But 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 you know most days like I'm not so in the trenches with her anymore. Yeah. So you know it's time for me to start switching, and she's supportive of that. But she's an LA girl, and I think Is she's she? a she's a little bit. Uh, her mom still lives in LA, so she'll always oh, have that. Good. Um, and she, you know who knows where she'll go for college. She she could go anywhere, including LA. So who kn- who knows where she'll go? Where did you go to college? I went all over. I um, I started in upstate New York. I was in Boston for a year and a half, and I finally graduated from UC Santa Cruz. A banana slug. Banana slug. 
Okay, what year did you graduate Santa Cruz? Nine, I graduated in the winter term because I was a transfer student. Mm -hmm. So the winter of 95, 96. Okay, so I had been up there around then mm -hmm. and I was blown away <laughs> because when people said it was hippy-dippy and in the woods, uh -huh. literally the woods, uh -huh. like you felt like this isn't real. Like yeah. where, where's the real campus? Yeah. <laughs> because these are tall trees, uh -huh. thick trees. Yeah. And everybody's walking everywhere, some bicycles, I guess, but it's, I felt like it was kind of a hill. Yeah. So it was a hill. <laughs> so maybe bicycles aren't the best idea. Oh, they're great. I was in really good shape. <laughs> I also heard, especially back then, I don't know if, if now's the case, there was no grades. Yeah, there weren't. You just got like a, um, a pass fail and, and an explanation. What a great way to have an education. Oh, it was great. I love Santa Cruz. How yeah. long were you in Santa Cruz? I was there for two years. Uh, studying music? An art, visual art. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, do you recommend to everybody? Do you hope that your daughter goes to Santa Cruz? I, she, well, she's like on a very specialized track she's she's aiming more for conservatories for violin wow um so like that santa cruz really wouldn't serve her in that way i see um but if she were to change her mind and she always could and wanted to go to to a normal college like that would be a great one to go to it's so beautiful and idyllic or it was then i haven't you know what was the vibe when you were there what is it as peaceful as it seems is it just i thought so yeah i thought it was amazing um it was it was a great place to be it was it was a little bit weird um in the 90s, um, you know, it's a very, very well, like the community is very wealthy mm. and very liberal, which also attracted a lot of homelessness. Oh. So it was kind of like 25 years ahead of the curve at the time. There was a, <laughs> there was a lot of heroin in the town when I was there no. in the 90s. So it was this very weird dichotomy of very, very, like the city itself was like very, very wealthy and very, very derelict at the same sort of time. Yeah. Like coming from the Midwest, like I, it took me a long time to wrap my head around that. But the college is is its own little bubble. And, you know, there's there's all these like, you know, and it was the 90s. It's hard to like remember how like the 90s were so like anti-commercialism. You know, For that sure. was really what was trendy at the time. And uh, ironically, trendy. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like, you, you could, you know, corporate magazines still suck on the That's cover right. of Rolling Stone. That's right. So that ethos really harmonized well with Santa Cruz at that time. You know, we were all, we were wearing flannel to begin with. So it, it just really fit well. Which, you know, um, also the, the concept of selling out. Mm. Don't sell out. Yeah, totally. And, uh, I mean, Pearl Jam didn't have uh, music videos for a while. They were fighting against uh, uh, Ticketmaster. Yeah. Um, and But just the ethos of, I mean, I kind of think that's one reason Cobain, whose shirt you mentioned, yeah. shot himself. Yeah. Because he, I mean, obviously he had lots of oh, other Oh, totally. Issues. I was... I was in my dorm in Santa Cruz when I got that news that night, and I stayed up all night writing about it because I was not even a huge Nirvana fan. Pathetically, I'll tell you why. It's because they seem like sellouts to me. It's like, you know, they're, they're, they've made this whole career by saying, you know, selling out sucks, and then that message made them famous, and I, I couldn't wrap my head around that. And so when he killed himself, like, suddenly the back of the train totally hit the front of the train and how I was thinking about it. It's like this, this man, like, people like me painted him into a corner. Like, where do you go from that? I felt so, like, in a weird like, way, cumulatively responsible, like, for, for that. And it just really changed how I thought about a lot of things. Like, that was a Santa Cruz memory. Yeah. I feel like, and I don't know how much of this Jordan's going to use, but I don't care. Because yeah. I think we both felt that same thing at that time. Yeah. That he did everything he could not to sell out. Yeah. 
yeah, you got to make a fancy video for heart-shaped box, whatever. Yeah. But but he's got a little girl in a KKK outfit. He's yeah. got a homeless guy on the crucifix. It's the most punk rock expensive video yeah. that he'll ever make. Yeah, and the dissected lady, like, bizarre. <laughs> so he was trying to, like, stay true to the Gen X nature. Totally. Into the punk rock ethos. Yeah. While being a millionaire, reluctantly. Yeah. But his music was not pop. He brought pop to him. Right. Which I felt the police did in the 80s. Yeah. You know, but but the police had more of a reggae heart, whereas Nirvana had a punk rock heart. Yeah. And it almost felt like the only way that he could continue to stay true is to blow his head off. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's that was like what became clear to me on that night. And it was so sad. And I felt so bad at, for him, for my role, role in thinking like that. And for all, like my whole, everyone around me, like that's how we all sort of saw it. it was like, how good could they be if they're that famous? Yeah. And, and it just, it's a, not a good way to think. Um, no, yeah, no, because, because just like you, you play the music so that other people will love it. Yeah. And somehow that's bad right that a lot of people loved it right you that's why you made it that's why you got out of bed are you gonna be writing a book yeah that's kind of what i want to do i um good like you i you know i i, I may want to do podcasts i may want to write books i've gone so deep with so many different things you know rickenbackers porsche vintage porsches um you know and, and i don't know if you saw my refrigerator like you know i just <laughs> i like old things and i want to be be sharing my insights to those um and also in the process maybe give my music some some more of a context and do things a little differently so that's Something along those lines is what I'm envisioning for myself. And if I don't like take all of this off the rails now and reset it to do that, I never will. So that's, that's yeah. I mean, we both grew up in the Midwest and yeah. much love to the Midwest. Great place to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, great place to go back to from time to time, mm-hmm. um, especially if, when you live in L.A. Because I kind of heck, even going to Santa Barbara grounds me about L.A. Yeah. Because I, I tend to honk a little in L.A. Yeah. And then when I see myself doing it in Santa Barbara, I'm like, just chill out, man. Just relax. Yeah. That's only for L.A. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in the Midwest, it's even more so. Yeah. You know? And so, but real estate, you could probably get a farm. I'm looking for a farm. Are you really? I am. Okay. So then when you collect all this vintage stuff, and also uh-huh. the Midwest, you could probably find real vintage stuff out there. Yeah. That, that... I'm not saying that you're going to rip off people by buying their things, but you will take care of it. You you might restore some of it. Um, I would rather give you my my vintage whatever yeah. than some other person. Yeah. It seems like you've got a, a good heart. Well, thank you. Um, maybe other people will feel that way or just at the very least bring awareness to some of these things and, you know, build that appreciation. Um, you know, it... it um, there's a real connection between art and restoration. Um, I think they both draw on the same skill sets. You know, you, you need vision, you need creativity, you need intuition, you need meditation, um, you, you need craftsmanship, you need an understanding of materials, of, of which chemicals to use. You need all of those things for both. But the difference is with 
art, you're putting something new in the world that wasn't there before. And with restoration, you're keeping something in the world from falling out of it. But it's very similar. Um, you know, I want to make, you know, make more art, I think, than restore things. But that process is definitely going to weave itself through what I create. perfect person to ask about any of these neighborhoods what difference differentiates granada hills from its neighbors or are they the same no they're not the same um i mean granada hills kind of has two halves like north of rinaldi south of rinaldi um north of rinaldi is i guess considered like the more better high under part or whatever is that where we're at right now we're, yeah um but i mean the, the southern part's nice very nice too i have no disrespect to any but that's just <laughs> i guess if you anyone who looks up real tight prices could figure that out um you know it um but you're also higher elevation higher elevation usually more hills yeah um it's it's nice the the eichlers are very special like even like if you go outside of those there's more like kind of in the style people that have sort of emulated um but then, you know, the next thing over is Porter Ranch, and that's very different. It's much newer and in a whole different take on a modern gate, you know, subdivision. It's all gated. You have to check in with the guard. It's a different kind of deal. Um, to the south, there's there's Northridge, which is again different deal. CSUN is kind of the anchor of that. And so I mean they're all, you know, different in the valley, it's all just sort of different realities people have invented, different sort of pockets of things. Um if if um if I'm considering one of these houses like yours, this yeah. style, and and money's no object, uh -huh. what's the price range that I'm thinking about for one of these 100 houses? Um, for a restored one, probably about one five million, and for that doesn't seem crazy to me. No, not really, especially if you rent it out some days for filming. <laughs> <laughs> Which almost all of them could be. If it was restored, it would be no problem to do that. Yeah. Even People not want restored. that house. Yeah. It, they're pretty much in demand. Yeah. So about a million and a half for one of these amazing houses. Yeah. How many bedrooms on in this typical layout? Five. Five bedrooms? Yeah. This house has four now, but it originally had five. The master bedroom has been converted into one room. Do, have you... Have you were, <laughs> I'm stumbling over myself. Is one of the rooms a studio, a rock and roll studio for you? My bedroom was. I had my drum set set up in there for for when it, I, it's packed up now to be moved. But um, I was I was doing the album in my bedroom. I liked because they had these Hunter Douglas blinds that would kind of baffle the windows, and um, 
it just, it was just, I liked waking up surrounded by all my instruments. It was really a fun way to, you know, I, I started doing sketches for this new album I was telling you about. I was doing that in my bedroom. What kind of drums? Ludwig. What kind of uh, cymbals? Pre-split Istanbuls. I'm sorry. Huh. So Zildjian was in Turkey, and when they um, they they changed things up, the two of the guys started their own company called Istanbul, and they eventually split up. And the early ones are called pre-split before the split up. And so, pre-split. Pre-split is when I first moved to LA in the '90s. These were a thing, and I just love. They're so musical. Like they have so many different <laughs> sounds. So when I when I decided to learn drums, I remembered those, and I hunted down all. Istanbul's from the from the nineties. You responded with Ludwig as that was the dumbest question ever. <laughs> Why Ludwig for you? Ringo Starr and also John Densmore. My sets. Uh, I love. I love the drummer from the Doors. You know, he's very jazzy and how he follows Jim on all those lines. Like, I love melodic drummers. And um, so, so my my set is uh, mod orange like John's. I I wanted to, do, to to pay tribute to him in that way. That whole band was incredibly jazzy. Oh, so much so. And and. and and it, and when people, I mean, it's it's weird to me that the younger generation don't understand the doors, or even you too. Yeah. And 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 I'm like, why? And then I'm like, oh, because it doesn't sound like anything else, which is why we love them. Also, both of those bands are the opposite of sound bites. They're the opposite of TikTok. They're the opposite of instant of tinder swipe left swipe right those bands are you really need to kind of invest yourself and allow yourself to be taken somewhere and that's not so much how kids do music right now um tell me about nightlife in granada hills <laughs> well there's a 7-eleven <laughs> um you know there really isn't much it's it's not what you do here it's truly a bedroom community yeah you go into the city to work yeah you take your kids to Little League or whatever. Yeah. Recitals. Yeah. You walk your dog up the hill, avoid the tarantulas and the snakes. Yeah. And you want it to be quiet. Yeah. That's a feature, not a bug. It's a nice thing. And if you want the nightlife, again, all the freeways end here. I saw Colin Hay last night at the Coronet Theater, and I was home in 30 minutes. How's his voice? It's exactly the same. It's Men at Work 1984. Who can it be now? Do, do, do. Yep. <laughs> Can he put on a, a, a full show? He's great. He's amazing. But like he's got more songs than just the Oh two yeah, or three. yeah, yeah. He's been doing albums this whole time. I met I met him briefly when I worked at the Westwood Music Store where I met Andy Summers. I met everybody there. It was really kind of a fun place to be. I met Colin Hay, but it was just hey. Um <laughs> he was playing a lot at Largo, uh, famously at Largo when it was on Fairfax. And I played there a few times as well when I first got to LA, but I never saw him there. And I was like, one day I'm going to go make the effort. But, you know, I was the 90s. I was like, eh. so I just never did. Um, and I re always regretted that. And then like last week um, I saw uh, on Facebook, he was like, I'm playing Largo again. And I was like, no way. I'm leaving L.A. This would be a perfect kind of way to conclude this. So I went and I saw him and he was he was amazing. Uh, let's talk about this Westwood store, and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Um, is it in Westwood? Uh, Westwood Music, yeah. It's it used to be um, 
You know the sign that says how many people have died from smoking on Santa Monica Boulevard? Oh, yes. On Little Santa Monica. Yeah, it used yeah. to be right under that sign. And it was funny because the owner smoked and you could smoke in the <laughs> store. Um, and then they moved to, I haven't been in there in years, but I mean, it was a trip. Uh, Fred Fred was amazing. He was, Fred Wallachy, he was this character. He kind of like, you know, rock and roll in the 70s, it went from, it's when it really went arena and big. And he was the music store that, that helped bands do that and, oh. and make their thing. He was, his dad was a violin guy and was famous for that. And then he became the like son and his whole contribution was how to like, you know, outfit the Eagles for their stadium tour for Hotel California or whatever. Really? That was his thing. So yeah, you so know, like Marshall Stacks kind of. A yeah, thing? whatever. Like he, or, you know, how to move a grand piano. Like just every. Joni Mitchell would call on the phone and ask about legs for her piano, and like, it was great. You know, all my heroes were there. Graham Nash would come and sing sometimes, try out the new thing, and yeah. It was West LA music? Down the roads? It was at, that, at time? that time, yeah. So you guys were kind of competing against each other, I imagine. Yeah, but it was different. Like, even even then, like, Wallachie's was kind of like this old sort of funky kind of place. And that was kind of a little more slick and trying to be West L.A. Wallachie wasn't, <laughs> wasn't for, it, it, it was its own sort of flavor. Yeah. How old were you working at this store? I was in my, like, mid-20s. Yeah. Perfect age. That was great. Yeah. Perfect age. Were you living in Westwood at the time? Yeah. I um, originally I was couch surfing with a friend who lived across from the Mormon Temple, um, and then I got my own little place. It was like a converted garage, just sort of south of there. Yeah. So you could walk to work. Yeah. And you're a good musician, so uh -huh. if somebody said, "How does this guitar sound?" You could play. Yeah. Okay. We're gonna wrap up with this then. Okay. Is it true you can't play Stairway to Heaven at music stores? <laughs> you can but you're gonna be silently judged even by you the, the man with the sweetest heart <laughs> all right i'll tell you a funny story about this um so originally it was stairway to heaven and then it kind of became tears from heaven like in the 90s that was the acoustic song everybody played <laughs> i also so i worked at westwood music first and then i even also worked in the acoustic room at guitar center for a minute to, to kind of make on sunset music. yeah and that was also a trip. And, uh, you know, this is maybe a good way to conclude. This is a great music lesson I had. People would come into that store all the time. And I feel like Stairway or Tears from Heaven or that extreme acoustic song, whatever they pick, we called it wankage. That was like the funnel term for all of it. Wankage. People come in and wankage. It's like, I'm in Hollywood and I'm going to get a record deal by impressing the salesman at Guitar Center. Like, I, that's it just, it's like, who are you trying to impress? And these people just play these like, hard songs and it was just it just became noise so one night i'm there by myself and i'm um you know down in the acoustic room it was kind of a dungeon at that time there were some side rooms you could get lost in and um, you know it's tired and i hear this like one note wafting through the doors on the side i'm like it's like one note like it's it's not stairway it's not it's just this guy's playing one note and my god this note it's alive it's 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 like vibrant it's it's got a force it's what is this like who so i go in and there's this dude and he's we had this like gibson banjo from the 1930s with a pickup in it for some reason and he's plugged it into like the pedal steel guitar amp and he's playing it by rubbing it against the leg of the table steel and he's like balancing trying on this one leg and he's making this one sonorous note and i look and the dude is daniel lenoir the producer of uh -huh. you two. Uh-huh. That was a lesson. It's not at all how much you play. It's all how you play. That's everything. So, you know, I think the stairway, all of that, th th those are all the guys that haven't figured out that it's not what you play. It's only about how you play.
Thank you so much for having us today. Mm -hmm. God bless you. Good luck on your move. Thank you. And we're going to be playing some music of yours throughout this. Let's start over in Ohio. Let's pack it in and start anew. Great. Uh, where can they get this? Uh, do you have a website? I do. Uh, uh, coin, C-O-I-N-C-D dot com. Coin. Yeah, you know, I, I made a new name for myself when I did the album. Um, I, I was coin for that album. It was like a persona I took on. Uh, I, I love coins. I designed coins for the mint for a while. <laughs> so I um, Wait, wait, wait. For whose mint? Your mint. The United States mint. You designed coins? I worked on some of them. I worked on the Nevada quarters and on the Lewis and Clark nickels. So when all the states had different quarters? Yeah. Yeah. You were one of the artists? I was in the pool. None of my designs ever got picked, but I was, you know, part of the conversation and doing the whole thing. So if we get a Nevada quarter, yeah. that's you. No, it's somebody else, but uh, mine was the one next to the one that got picked. <laughs> <laughs> you were that close. I was that close. They flipped a coin. They flipped a coin. Um, yeah, so I, I was coined for that. So um, yeah, I'll make sure Coin CD is still active or just Google my name, Charles Danik. I'll have, I'll have a page up for, for, for anyone who wants to find my music. Do you prefer Charlie or Charles? Both are good. Charlie. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time You're today. You're very welcome, Tony. Thank you. All right. How great was Charlie? You know who else we'd pull out our guitars and jam with? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's some guitar strings. Here's a guitar stand. Oh my God, here's a Marshall stack. Every donation you hand over keeps this project a rolling. Shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, and Bree Wilde. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you got to do is PayPal us 25 bucks or more. It can even be Bitcoin. It's, it's fine. And we will list you on the Here in LA website that Mark Johnson is building forever. You'll also be given a number to denote how early you got in to make this dream come alive. For example, Angelino number one is Allie Miller. Two, George Wright. Three, Rita Joanne. Four, Jason Sutter. Five, Grant Houghton. Six, Rob Baker. Seven, Kev Chang. And eight is Brenda Garcia. Just PayPal, your hard-earned crypto. <laughs> it's a bus blog at gmail.com. Want to support us, but you bet it on red. And you should always bet on black. You, too, can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Oh, my God, post two. Tweet something nice about us. Make a picture, put it on Instagram, and tag us. Tell all your friends. Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, and that it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Spotify. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who can play the guitar just like ringing a bell. Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz, who also plays trumpet. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz, who also plays banjo. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and Linda, a.k.a. Sharky, for introducing us to Charlie. If you've got a friend, 
that we should be talking to, find out what neighborhood they live in, find out if they're down, email me once they know their neighborhood and know that they're down, and you too could possibly have your friend just like Linda's on here in LA. Long live the lonely chair! chair.